Hello, my name's John Orth. Welcome to the Employer Flexible Podcast, Episode 3, Financial Help is on the Way. Today marks the first full week of house arrest for many of us, and I'm starting to see why a dog breaks for the door when it opens. As for our topic for today, we are lucky to have Bart Carraway, President of Third Coast Bank, with us today to help us navigate through to the necessary money we need to keep our businesses going. But before we do that, it's time for breaking news. Breaking news, on Friday around noon, the House approved the Coronavirus Aid and Economic Security Act, known as CARES, C-A-R-E-S. The acronym guy must have been uh, in in personal uh, quarantine when they passed the the act last week, which was the the Families First Coronavirus Response Act, because there's no acronym that flows for that, but this one is CARES. So there you go. It's also known as the You Need Money, We Want to Give You Money, Let's Do Business Act. In other breaking news, Boris Johnson, Prime Minister of England, tested positive for the coronavirus. And finally, today should have been opening day in baseball. As for our topic for today, we needed a banker. And in case you're wondering, next to medical personnel and first responders, bankers are probably the busiest people out there right now. Nonetheless, a friend of our company, Bart Carraway of Third Coast Bank, has agreed to come on. So today we're meeting with Bart Carraway, and Bart is the the Third Coast Bank President, Chief Executive Officer of, of Third Coast Bank. So, Bart, welcome to the show. Thank you, John. It's always a pleasure to work with Employer Flexible. You know, we uh, started our bank about the same time um, you guys start your company, and it's been fun watching y'all grow um, the same as us. So thank you for your time today. All right. So, so Bart, just re- real quick, tell us a little bit of, about your, your bank and, and your, your background. Sure. So, uh, John, I went, one thing I wanted to say is, you know, we're talking a little bit about SBA loans today, and um, certainly – a tough time for a lot of mom and pops out there. Whenever um, I was younger, my parents had a, a restaurant for about 20 years. And, you know, during that time, we went through the 80s. And I still remember struggling sometimes, you know, hoping our business was going to make it. So uh, I certainly sympathize with all the ones that are listening. Um, the good news is, is that uh, there's about $377 billion worth of uh, aid that's uh, coming y'all's way in the term of uh, SBA loans. So Third Coast, um, we're uh, primarily a small business um, provider, and we have a lot of uh, mom-and-pop clients, and we're also a preferred SBA lender. So, you know, we're in the thick of it with our clients right now. Okay, so so it, it sounds like... I mean, it used to be that, that it was an oxymoron when you got government help, but but it sounds like they're actually really here to help this time. So, so with with the government help, you know, what what are the options for for our our clients right right at this moment? Yeah. So, John, there's really two programs right now that the uh, government's putting forward, and they're both are through the SBA. So, one is called the Emergency Injury Disaster Loans, or IDLE. Those are directly through the SBA. And then there's uh, another one called the Paycheck Protection Program. And those are going to be actually offered through banks. 
So on the idle program, uh, again, this is directly the SBA. You can go to the SBA website and actually apply for uh, loan amounts up to $2 million. And for loans less than 500000 they have some expedited uh, underwriting. And it covers up to six months of operating expenses. And they determine that to be payroll, salaries, rent, et cetera. So the rate is 3.75%. It has a 30-year amortization. Uh, and under 200000 there's actually no personal guarantee on it. Okay, so, so what what what's the what's the downside of the of the idle loan? Well, John, you always know there's some downside, right? And in this particular program, it's the timing. So when you go to the SBA SBA website, um, what they have been telling us is that it's about a five week process to get funding. So there's one week to review the application up to three weeks for the borrower to be contacted and get further information. And then once all that's processed, it's another five business days to get the first $25,000. And even worse, we were, we found out uh, yesterday that evidently the website's been overwhelmed and that they're now moving to paper applications. Now, I don't know whether that will be, quicker or slower, but it's probably optimistic to say that you will see any funds with, from this from uh, within five weeks. And, and, and again, all, all the idle loans are, are exclusively being handled by the SBA. Is that correct? That, that's correct. They're, they're exclusively being handled by the, the SBA. Okay. And, and so, so what's our second option? So the second option is, um, the act that is currently waiting uh, to be passed, which we expect to happen at any time. And that is, has a provision that's the Paycheck Protection Program, and it's going to be handled through banks. So in this program, um, it's up to $10 million per loan. So it's much bigger than the idle one. Uh, it covers companies with a maximum size of 500 employees although there are some exceptions to that. Um, it also includes sole proprietors, independent contractors, and eligible self-employed individuals. The funds must be used for retaining workers and to maintain payroll or mortgage payments, lease payments, and utility payments with it. So the calculation is a little complex that you probably get into with, with your lender when you get into it, but essentially, you take your average monthly payroll cost and the cost of those other items I just listed, and you multiply it by 2.5. So that'll give you a rough estimate of how much you could actually uh, uh, collect in a loan on this. Uh, the maximum term is 10 years, and it even has provisions in it to where um, you can ask for a deferment to where you don't start paying um, any principal payments uh, for six months. Okay, so so let me just kind of go, go back and make sure that these are clear. So tell me the difference. So the, the PPP, which is the second option, is, is for retaining workers for utility payments and mortgage payments, correct? And lease payments, correct. So it okay. is payroll, mortgage and, payments, lease payments, and utility payments are the covered items uh, specifically in the Act. 
Okay. And, and then what about the, uh, and compare that again to, to the idle loan? Or do they cover the same things or did I hear something different? Uh, they basically cover close to the same things. There's a few differences. Um, the part of the difference is uh, you can actually uh, obtain probably more funding through the PPP program, as you say. Um, the other thing that's different is, is where you get it from. So the PPP, you will actually go to a bank and they will process it versus the idle program will go to um, straight to the SBA website. Now, another big difference is the PPP is non-recourse. So on the idle loan, it's clearly intended that you will be paying it uh, back, although they have a 30-year amortization, which is kind of positive. On the PPP, there is, it is actually a non-recourse loan and there is some language in the act that talks about forgiveness. So uh, at this point, the SBA still has to write some of the rules. And we'd be more than happy to, to keep everybody updated as a preferred lender. Sort of we get all the rules fresh off uh, the press, as they say. Um, but we think on the forgiveness part, um, it's going to be fairly generous. But we think it's going to cover basically two requirements. One is um, they're not going to forgive anything that you don't use for the appropriate purpose. In other words, if you go out and buy a bass boat instead of using it for payroll or mortgage payments, you know, they're not going to cover that probably. Um, the other, other part is they have some specific language that they tie this forgiveness concept to the actual payroll. And in the, the rule, they actually say that loan forgiveness will be reduced in accordance with any reduction in the number of employees or salaries. So, John, it's a little vague right now with that part of it. We don't know if it's going to be a dollar for dollar reduction um, or if they're going to have some sort of uh, benchmarks put in place. Uh, but the, the clear benefit to the uh, Paycheck Protection Program is that at some point they do believe there will be a forgiveness component to this loan. Okay, so so let, let me let me back up just a little bit. So, uh, give us for all of us non-bankers out there, uh, what what what's the definition of a non-recourse loan? So, um, generally, whenever you um, have a small business loan, you have a personal guarantee. So, usually, that's the owner that personally guarantees that loan in addition to the business. In the case okay. of the PPP, that personal guarantee requirement is is uh, not not going to be uh, required. Whereas on the idle loan, uh, generally it is above two hundred thousand. Okay, so so it it looks like what Congress is basically trying to do is in order, uh, and tell me if I'm wrong, but in order to to keep as many jobs active as possible, they're willing to to come in. For you know what what would be the equivalent of two and a half months of of a lot of these costs and loan the money to you and maybe even forgive you based on forgive that loan down the road based on uh, whether or not it, it saved the jobs or not is that, is that kind of a rough summary? Yeah, I, I think the clear intent is to get as much help to the mom and pops as possible, and to the extent that they keep the jobs going, um, you know. I think they're willing to make part of this an absolute grant. Um, devil will be in the details, but 
it, it appears um, as we're getting information from the SBA uh, that this is going to be a very generous program for small businesses. And if they get the rules written quicker, um, it, more than likely this PPP money will come faster than actually the idle will to get in their hands sooner. Okay. And, and so, yeah, when we're talking about the, the time timeline turnarounds, you mentioned that, you know, it could be, what what we say, maybe two to two and a half, three months before you actually got the money with idle. Yeah. Idle is clearly going to be at least five weeks before you get the first amount of the funds. They will dole it out over time uh, on the PPP program. Um, they, they are still writing some of the rules, but I, I expect um, in a couple of weeks for them to basically publish most of the rules, roll it out to the banks and start funding maybe as soon as two or three weeks from now. Right. Okay. Uh, all right. Really interesting. Okay. So, so what advice would you give for small business owners right now on, on both of these? And then we'll kind of go into some more general uh, ideas too, but, but go ahead. Sure. So, John, what I would say, first of all, is um, I would make application as soon as possible, um, because one, uh, although it sounds like they're big numbers, um, you know, we don't know if the last person in line is going to be able to get anything. So I think it's important that uh, you go ahead and make application as soon as possible. Uh, the second thing I would say is that I would apply for both at this point, because um, under both programs, you can withdraw an application, but if you get in line for both, then you can choose which one that you want. I will say that the PPP program specifically states that you cannot actually obtain funds from both programs. Eventually, you have to choose, but I think it's important for the small business owners that you go ahead and apply for both. Uh, the other thing I would say is pick a bank on the PPP that is a preferred lender. Um, you want a preferred lender is able to have delegated uh, underwriting and that will allow them to process the applications quicker. And then uh, on the back side of this, once you have the funds, um, you know, we don't know all the rules coming down. So what I would really uh, emphasize is that the small business owners keep the proceeds in a separate account or keep really, really good track of the use because you're probably going to have to prove uh, what you did with the funds in order to get that forgiveness. Okay. All right. So uh, another term that's kind of going out there right now, you know, is the availability for loan deferrals for, for existing uh, loans that, that, that our business owners have right now. Uh, can you, can you talk about that topic for us? Sure can. Yeah. So, um, loan deferrals are actually a little more complex than you would think with it, uh, depending on whether it's a consumer or a commercial account. Um, I assume most of our uh, listeners are going to be commercial, so I'll, I'll just kind of focus on it a little bit. But, you know, the government has sent the message that um, uh, similar to what how we've handled hurricanes and disaster events in the past to be uh, generous with loan deferrals. And so I highly encourage um, the small business owners to contact their banks and, um, you know, ask to see what kind of assistance that they're willing to give. Now, whenever I think about loan deferrals, 
um, there's actually three different categories that the small business person needs to think about. There's a principal and an interest component, and then there's any kind of possible escrows. So, um, you know, some banks are, are offering principal only, and you still have to pay the interest. Uh, some are actually allowing for the principal and interest to be deferred. Um, and then you have the escrow component to it. So this is more linked to do with consumer loans like mortgage, but you need to think about uh, the fact of what you want to do. If you, if you cannot make that payment or feel like you need some relief, you can ask for a principal only refer deferral, or you can ask for a deferral of all three. But at some point, um, obviously, you will have to pay that back. And banks are, have handled it different ways. Some of the options you want to think about is some of the banks have allowed um, payments to be posted at the end of the note. So if you think of yourself like a commercial loan that has a 10-year note, um, at the end of that 10 years, you would have two more payments with it. But it doesn't adjust your payment. Uh, some are uh, will require a reamortization. So what will happen is you take those two or three payments or whatever you get as a deferral, um, and instead of adding it to the end of the note, they will actually amortize that through the rest of the loan. So your payments may go up, you know, a hundred dollars or so with it. Um, but those are all things that you can actually negotiate uh, with your lender. Just something to think about as you go in to talk uh, to your lender about what you can do uh, is thinking about what's going to happen after those, you know, two months, three months, four months, five months of deferrals, you know, um, plan ahead of time uh, to decide on how you're going to handle that and be prepared. Okay. Um, Bart, this is all excellent advice and, and, and we really, you know, really appreciate it. And, and just one more time, you know, to give everybody a, uh, you, you get you get a twenty second free commercial here uh, <laughs> about your bank and how to find you, and and I assume that you are an SBA approved uh, approved bank. So so go ahead and just tell tell everybody how, how they can get a hold of you in case they need some help. Oh, great, John. Well, th well, thank you for giving me the free commercial on this part. Yes, uh, look, if you have any questions about any of this or about the SBA loans. Uh, you can email us at sbaloans at tcbssb.com. That's tcbssb.com, SBA loans. Um, again, Third Coast Bank's a, a, a locally owned uh, bank here in Texas, and uh, but we do SBA uh, loans across the country. Uh, we have a fantastic, uh, very experienced SBA group, um, and we are preferred SBA lenders. So, Look, we'd love to help you. And if nothing else, if you just want advice, um, you know, email us. Uh, we'll put you on the list and we will actually send you updates uh, on the SBA rules as they're coming out. So um, just send us an email and we'd be glad to follow up and help you in any way. And we appreciate the time, John. Th thank you so much, Bart. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye -bye. Thank you. Bye. Okay, so this puts us into the mailbag portion of our podcast today. And for those of you, this is your first podcast. This is the part where we gra grab uh, uh, questions from from our clients through our client service people, or any questions that you would 
go to the to the employerflexible.com forward slash podcast page and send questions to us. So today for for the person, our mailbag person today is Lindsay Foreman. Lindsay is one of our HR consultants in the Houston market. Lindsay, welcome. How are you? Thank you for having me. I'm doing well. How are you? This is a time we're living in, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Okay, so so a lot of the questions to no one's surprise from the from the clients really have to do with with uh, people re- reducing their either temporarily or permanently reducing their their uh, workforce during these times. So uh, we'll go right to the questions. The the first one is. If I furlough, can an employer or can an employee still be qualified for the emergency sick pay and emergency FMLA pay? Uh, Yes. So that's a really great question, because when the Families First Coronavirus Response Act, which is what the full act is called, um, was first passed last week, there wasn't a lot of clarification on that. Um, But the Department of Labor has released guidance in the last um, day or so that states that employers who have furloughed employees because they either don't have enough work or enough business for them right now, those employees would not be entitled under that paid sick leave or expanded uh, family medical leave um, act. So this is where unemployment benefits would come into play for those employees since they have been temporarily furloughed or laid off. Okay. All right. So, so the next question is, is, can I furlough an exempt employee for one day a week? So exempt employees are um, a little bit different because they are salaried, exempt from overtime, and there are certain qualifications that they must meet to be considered exempt employees under the Fair Labor Standards Act. Um, so we have gotten that question a lot lately, and for an exempt employee, you can't furlough for just one day a week. So if you're going to reduce hours or work. Um, It needs to be in full week time periods and increments for salaried exempt employees. Um, So if you were going to take that action, then it would need to be at least one week um, at a time that they will not be performing work. And that goes to even remote work. So if they're performing any work at all, regardless of if they were working remotely, working in an office setting, um, they do need to receive their full pay for that week. And and so just just so I'm clear now, you, you could go to your exempt employees and and reduce their pay d- during this period, correct? Yes. So I mean, employers do have the option of of just doing salary reductions during this time. Um, employees' work would still be the requirements would still be the same of them as far as how much work that they're performing and what their expectations are, um, but they would just be reducing the salary during this time. Um, or for this foreseeable future. Okay, and and then uh, on the non-exempt side, uh, I would assume that the answer is yes, you you can furlough them for one day a week? Yes, so for hourly hourly employees, it's it's much easier to do that because it would simply be reducing their hours. So going from 40 hours a week to letting them know that they would start reporting for 32 hours a week. Um, you do want to let them know before the start of that schedule that they will be reporting less hours, but you are able to do that. Okay. 
All right. So the next one is if I reduce my employee's hours, will they lose their benefits? So right now with um, if you have a, your benefits with employer flexible, um, we are able to continue benefits for up to 90 days uh, because of the situation we have going on. Um, and it's regardless of how many hours the employee is working. So if you are reducing hours and either through either with temporary or either with exempt employees or hourly employees, if you're reducing their hours, we can continue their benefits. Um, so if they're working 20 hours a week now when they used to work 40 for this this period of time, up to 90 days, we're able to continue benefits. Um, but we do need employer flexible does need to document that and track that. So if, it, if it's a situation where you are needing to do that, just make sure you reach out to your HR consultant um, and then we can walk you through that process and get you the information that you need. Okay. All right. So the, the last question in the mailbag for today is, can I send an employee home if they appear to be having symptoms consistent with COVID-19? Yes, you can. Um, actually, you should. If they are experiencing symptoms of, of COVID-19, um, the employer should send them home and ask them to to stay at home for the 14-day the quarantine, quarantine period um, that the CDC recommended. Um, and then the employer should also take steps to notify those that had worked in close proximity to that employee um, just as safety precautions to let them know that they could have had potential exposure to the coronavirus. Um, the best way to do that would be to ask the particular employee who's experiencing those symptoms to tell you who they've had close contact with in the last 14 days. And then the employer can go to those employees and let them know that there is a potential that they have been exposed to it. Um, you want to keep the employee's identity private. So you don't want to let them know exactly, you know, which employee it was that potentially has it. Um, but you do want to let them know. And if, especially if they're in a high risk category um, of someone who's um, an older worker or someone who has underlying health conditions, they might want to then self-quarantine themselves as well during the next 14 days. So you do want to make sure um, you're taking the proper precautions if that does happen. Okay. All right. And, and so uh, I think just to kind of wrap up, you know, all, all these questions and the answers that, that, that Lindsay gave, each one of those questions can, can have another question like it that sounds like it that's just a little different cut or flavor. And so, you know, I'd like to tell all of our, our clients out there that we are absolutely here to help you. And so uh, if you have any questions like this that, that, that you're not certain of the answer, feel free to, to call your, your HR consultant. Uh, we also, to, to, to try to keep people to get as much information to you as possible on, on all the information on these podcasts and, and other information that may be helpful on the employerflexible.com uh, website. On the front page, there's a COVID-19 resource link that you can link to, and, and it will get you to, to kind of a treasure trove of, of, of information that can help you through this. So uh, we will be talking to you uh, very soon with, with our with our next podcast to continue to give you this information and until then everybody stay safe and, and have a great day thanks